Welcome to the Kitchen Sink Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. I maxed out at 387 pounds uh, before joining OA. And uh, that was the point where I knew I did not want to break 400 pounds. So I started trying to go back to the gym. And it was very, very slow trudging. Uh, I had arrested the rise of my, the rate of my weight, but it was not going down really that fast. Um, about three months, four months later, I joined OA slowly at first, uh, step by step. Uh, and uh, eventually when I finally got a sponsor, it kicked into high gear, and I've now lost uh, just over 120 pounds. I had lost more, but during uh, COVID isolation, I gained some back. Uh, that may have been partly muscle. I don't know. I just know my weight went back up a little bit. Uh, those are the basics. Uh, now comes my uh, history. I've always had an issue with food as far as back as I can remember. Uh, my earliest memory of food was the fact that I would only eat bread and water. I wouldn't eat anything else. I, If it was anything healthy, such as fruits or vegetables, I'd uh, try to run away from it. I wouldn't eat it. I'd let it. I'd throw it away. I'd try to hide it. I, I refused to even let it touch anything on my plate. Uh, so it, it was very, it had to not even be on my plate because I, I, I felt my plate was contaminated. Uh, I then found my first, uh, my first binge food, which was milk. Once I had, once I discovered the joys of milk, I had to have milk with almost every meal. Uh, in fact, I would eat the food to dry out my mouth, but, you know, salty, dry food, just so I can have milk to wash it off, to wash it down. I drank it to the point that uh, the doctor actually started moving me from whole milk to low-fat to finally non-fat milk, because I was up to, I was drinking about a half a gallon a day, and this is when I was five, six years old, so you can imagine how much milk I was drinking. Um, and then uh, I did at least my weight never really went high. I was never a fat kid. I was very husky, so I carried my weight well. But I was never truly healthy. Uh, I remember doing those uh, presidential fitness programs in school, and of my two brothers and myself, I'd always be like the least physical one. I could never do those pull-ups. Uh, I, the push-ups were definitely not something I ever liked doing. Uh, Sit-ups were just not fun at all. I was not the worst, but I was also not in the even the top ten. And my younger brother just always seemed to always just naturally get it. So I always had this little bit of uh, beginning issues of physical, like oh he's better than I am, and there's this, you know as when you see that, and it, I never was truly resentful about the how bad, but it it kind of made didn't make me feel any good. Moving to uh, when I was just before 13, 
I learned of a new word called divorce uh, at my uh, religious school. And I had no idea what that was. Uh, none of my friends' parents were divorced. I didn't. My parents weren't divorced. I never really heard on TV. No one talked about it. So the teacher had asked the class, and most of the students in the class raised their hands. So I was like, well, my parents are not, you know. So I went home, and I asked my parents, why aren't you divorced? Shortly thereafter, a couple months later, they did get divorced. And uh, as an impressionable, very young man, very young, or older child, I took it on that that was my fault. I tried to express that to my parents more than once over the years, and it was always, been, even now, I'm told, oh, that's ridiculous, it wasn't your fault. It's not what you want to hear. It's just like, oh, my God, that must have been impressionable to you as a child. I'm so sorry. No. And that it goes, that'll lead to the other aspect of uh, my share late, a little bit later. Uh, but when my parents separated, I eventually I moved in with my dad and I stayed at his place. And my father was not the best role model uh, or didn't, he did the best he could. Uh, he definitely failed in some areas. Uh, in one of them, I was tasked to buy the food, uh, cook the food, clean up the food, put everything away, set everything up. So by the time he came home, all he would have to have is dinner. So I was playing kind of the role of the wife uh, or the significant other. And this is when I learned I could buy whatever I want when I'm there. So I found my, you know, my chips, my salty chips that I like, crackers or, or uh, tortillas. I found the one of the greatest sweet foods ever, which is raw cookie dough, which I absolutely love to have. And I would start hiding them around the my dad's apartment. So that way I knew where it was. If he wanted it, I'd buy two, one for me and then one for everyone else. Uh, and during this time, I was still exercising every day at school. So I was getting exercise and I was burning off uh, a lot of this food. When I turned 18 and I went to college, I stopped doing exercising. And then that's when my weight finally started going up. It got to a point where I was went to see a nutritionist and uh, OA was suggested for me. I went to an OA meeting and I was not convinced I was an overeater. I went in the meeting and all... And, it was a great meeting, uh, or imagine it was, because, but all I heard was the fact that one or more people thanked Jesus uh, for their recovery. So all I heard was that. And I focused on that, and I didn't go back. Uh, my nutritionist at the time said, oh, you know, there's other meetings. It doesn't always have to be religious. You should try it out. And so I went, and I found one, which was Serenity Sunday. I just never went. And I was like, well, I always told myself, oh, I'll go one day, I'll try it out, it's near me, uh, but never did. And my weight went, kept on going up until I hit 302 pounds. And at that point, I felt, oh, wait, that's, that was my first ceiling. Uh, and I went to, I started taking exercise classes at school. Uh, with that, I learned some ways to watch my food, how to record it how to exercise every day, and I 
became, I actually liked walking. I, you know, I would walk every day. I would wash my food and my weight dropped. I lost 65 pounds. Then those classes ended. And you get maxed out. You can't continue taking classes all the time. So I was able to maintain it for a little bit, for about a year. And then slowly enough, the weight started going back up because I didn't have any spiritual uh, aspect to the program. I didn't have anyone, a support system. And it went up, and I kept on telling myself, oh, I can lose the weight. I, I've done it before. When I'm ready, I'll do it. Uh, well, it went back up to 300 and then continued up to the 387 that I had mentioned at the beginning. Uh, so that's the overall pretty much uh, – well, except the one fact that I did find my first binging food, uh, liquid, uh, uh, was uh, my first job, which was at a movie theater. There was a wonderful little uh, salty confection snack there that's available. When in between movies, there's about an hour and a half, there's nothing to do. So this wonderful smelling carbohydrate is just something you just start popping in your mouth pretty much like it. So, you know, when you eat it like popcorn, exactly what it is. So eight hours a day, every day, five days a week. You can imagine just how much popcorn I probably ate. In fact, I don't want to even think about it. You know, it might make me sick. Uh, so what led me into this disease? Uh, where did my disease stem from? Uh, so going back to the beginning, uh, I am, as I mentioned, I'm one of three boys. Uh, I am the middle child, and with all the middle child problems that usually people associate with that, I'm adopted, uh, which to find, in my view, I never really truly had a problem with the adoption, or at least that aspect of it. Uh, I mean, there are issues, but it's also the fact that I did notice when things were different, when my father and I did not agree or my mother and I didn't agree or see things the same way. Yet somehow they did with my younger brother who was naturally born. And that's when I noticed those differences, nature versus nurture. So I felt that started the development which made me feel like the fifth wheel and then eventually the sixth wheel, the wheel that's on the shelf that, you know, it's not even the spare tire, it's the one that's way further away. Uh, I usually like being active when I'm engaged and it's actually helping, but I've always had, I had a problem in my hand-eye coordination. There were some mental problems when I was younger. So all these things made me feel separate and different. And I never felt included. It was never like, oh, uh, you know, well, usually when there was these things that set me apart, it was always criticized and always uh, very negatively influenced by my uh, adult uh, peers. Uh, I was bullied extensively at school when I switched schools. From uh, I went to a private school for a few years where I had some friends, and when I switched, I was different. I acted differently. I didn't understand everything that went with. I didn't have the social interactions that others did, and so I was teased relentlessly for a few years, and I didn't have friends and. One of the things that led that up was when I had, uh, as most 13-year-old Jewish boys, uh, I had a bar mitzvah. Yet, the year leading up to my bar mitzvah, uh, every one of my classmates, you know, who also were Jewish, also had a bar mitzvah. And everyone was going to parties, and then I would hear afterwards, 
but I was never invited to any of them. And I would hear afterwards and afterwards, and so I believe I may have told my mother about this, or at least that, oh, everyone's having a bar mitzvah, I'm not going to any. She may have, you know, my, my older brother had gone to his fair share, and if, I don't know if my mom had asked me if I'm never invited or not. Uh, but my since my birthday's in the middle of summer, and sometimes my family traveled to France, as my, that's where my mom's from, my mom took it upon herself and spent a year, I learned this afterwards, in engaging in getting my bar mitzvah being able to be done in Israel, which was an amazing experience. And that was probably one of the best years and the worst years of my life because it was the same year that my parents got divorced. And so that was low end and then my bar mitzvah being one of the best things. Uh, when, little side note, which is what, uh, is uh, when I was for my bar mitzvah, I stayed at my mom's sister's place. She happened to be a nun in the Catholic Church, so you can imagine staying for mar- your bar mitzvah in a convent while Latin hymns are being sung in the background. Kind of makes me, I always thought that made me unique, and uh, I always liked that one. Uh, I had a 102 year old uh, nun who helped me with some of the passage and some of the reading of the Hebrew that I was having trouble with, so. Uh, this is where you never know when you might, you know, I had, I had made a prayer, you know, before that going, can someone help me out? Can I figure out how to do this? And she's, sure enough, she showed me. I think that's when one of my higher powers started responding to some of my prayers. Though I didn't recognize it at the time. Uh, but moving on, uh, I never really developed, I was feeling isolated and outside and never really being connected. I always kind of withdrew and, and uh, didn't develop any of the social interactions. Uh, I would have some fleeting surface ones, but I never uh, had a relationship. Uh, I didn't have a strong group of friends. Uh, I've, to this day, I still have never had a girlfriend. I've been on dates, you know, we've gone out, but it's usually one of those things that it's not that I fear going out or I fear of commitment. It's the fact that I always feel myself as not good enough. Uh, Five minutes, Mark. Five minutes. Thank you, Michael. I'll start wrapping up. So these things just really impounded on me, and it's now with the help of a, a wonderful therapist, I am working on improving myself and finding that, you know, it's okay to you know, be scared or it's okay to, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Today's uh, uh, today's message in the For Today book actually is like, you know, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to, you know, I'm not verbatim, but you're going to do things that are bad, but it, you've got to do them in order to get out of that and get better. Um, what really led me to understanding that I had an overweight problem, that I was compulsive, that I needed to lose weight, was one act, one of, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned this. Uh, my younger brother, who uh, decided he wanted to take his bike up to Santa Barbara, and he did that over two days. Uh, so I went to pick him up on the second day to drive him back. Well, that night when I picked him up, uh, we shared a hotel room. He did not get a wink of sleep, which considering he had been bike riding for two days is already with some amount of concern. But the reason was because he said I was starting to sound like I was drowning all night. I went to a doctor, talked to my doctor. It turns out I had sleep apnea. 
my weight definitely affected this. And sleep apnea, if, for those who don't know, is an interruption of your breathing when you're sleeping. Uh, you stop breathing, you can't take in any air, and then there's an automatic reflex, which kind of um, like that drowning reflex where you try to gulp air. Uh, sleep apnea is also defined that having five of those interruptions in an eight-hour night period of sleep. Uh, when I did my sleep study, they woke me up after an hour. I had 102 interruptions in that one hour. So I was doing this about every 30 seconds. I was gulping for air. This affected the way I thought. This affected the way I, you know, I was falling asleep during the day. I could not re retain memory that well. I didn't have an understanding. I essentially was not getting sleep for years. And when I finally got put on a mask, I had dreams for the first time in years. Uh, my interruptions have gone down to about, I just did a sleep study to about just about two or three a night. Uh, I still wear a mask because I'm still overweight. And I'm still working towards that. But it's something that I really want to say that this is something that that was the first step which got started getting me towards becoming a healthy uh, point. So with the help of a great sponsor who happens to be on here today, thank you, my sponsor. I'm trying to avoid names. But uh, he definitely helps me see things when I, when I see things one way. He helps me realize that it's not about me. And uh, that it's great what I did yesterday, but that's yesterday's shower. I need to stay clean today. So it's one day at a time. Uh, I may not be abstinent the rest of my life. I may not. I may binge tomorrow or next week. But for today, I can be abstinent. And I will be abstinent. So that's my story. Thank you for letting me share and being of service today. Now comes the point where... This is what I was still dreading at this point. Um, it's time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of, the, of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. The secretary will call on you, and you can unmute and ask your question. Uh, all right. I see, let's see, Barbara. Mark, do you have a morning routine, a morning, um, a way to get yourself set for the day? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, when I actually do it, uh, it, which is the best way to get me, I read uh, the daily passages for, for today and Voices of Recovery as well as uh, the AA message of the day. Uh, setting these will uh, generally get me, you know, get me out of it. That gives me a good message, and they generally have always been very accurate or spot on what's going on in the day. At least one of them have. Uh, I do try to meditate a little bit in the morning uh, and ask a quick prayer. That lasts more than that takes about two minutes. Uh, I don't do meditation that well yet. Uh, I'm able to. I just haven't really gotten into a good practice with it. But when I do those things all conjunction together, then I usually have a really good strong day. Uh, Vincent. Hey Mark, thank you for your share. Can you uh, explain to you how do you go about your food? Do you measure? Do you track it? Do you you know you know just tell us how you go about that? 
Absolutely. Uh, so uh, this was, I do weigh, me- weigh measure all my food uh, or take the best guess that I can. Uh, usually going out to restaurants, it's already pre-portioned. So it's, you know, some restaurants actually have their calories already listed. Uh, but at home, I will measure all my food. I will go in and look at the serving count, exactly what the serving is, and I'll know if I'm having one or two servings based on that nutritional information. All of that goes in, and uh, before I eat, I know exactly how much I'm going to eat. Uh, so uh, if I choose to overeat, I know exactly how much I'm overeating or if I'm having more or less, whatever it might be. Thank you. Uh, Carol? Hey, Mark. Thanks for your share. I don't think I've heard your, your long share before, so great to hear you. Um, you mentioned feeling apart from, feeling separate and different from, you know, your family and your and the people, kids you went to school with and stuff. Um, I know that's probably a lifetime project, but can you talk a little bit about how you're working your prob- program on that aspect um, and Share share some recovery, some progress you've made in that area. Well, of course, um, it's re- that that one. I'm really starting to, you know, try to turn over back to my higher power. It's those times when I've, you know, it's been so long that I kind of naturally just want to stay away, but I have that yearning. Uh, so when I'm usually invited to speak or invited to somewhere, it's there's no good reason for me not to. If I'm not already having plans, I try to say yes. Uh, I try to uh, make time when people ask me to do that. So, uh, and if I can, I try to talk to people. Uh, I'm also open uh, with my therapist and my nutritionist and my sponsor about this. And so they will also help me guide me in those situations. Uh, I just because I may not always see my brothers or my friends, I try to also then say at least, you know, every few days I will try to, or at least those people that I know well, uh, I try to contact them every now and then. It's a little bit bit harder with COVID, uh, seeing people. Um, But it is something that at least I try to, when I'm starting to feel a little bit outside, I try to also come to a meeting because there is fellowship here. And uh, so it's great seeing everybody's face, you know, here today again. So it's, we'll see what happens after COVID ends, but it's right now just trying every little bit to always be connected and talking with people at the moment. Thanks. Uh, next one I have is Don. Uh, hey, Mark, thanks for your share. Um, you mentioned that you came to OA and you were put off by uh, by the first meeting and what, could you describe your thought processes that turned you around and made you decide to come back and engage? Of course. Uh, so I always was encouraged to come to OA. And so it's something that I was like, okay, maybe it's there over here anonymous. Maybe that can help me. Um, I tried one outside uh, commercial food weight loss program, it didn't take because I didn't like the food that they were offering me and they didn't really even help me. So there was no uh, really uh, service there. But everyone who's ever been in LA has always told me, oh, it's great, it's good, there's great fellowship. 
And it didn't take until I, my nutritionist referred me to my therapist, who happens to be an OA, and I got to at least troubleshoot some of my concerns with him. Uh, as he was a member of OA, you know, he definitely answered all my questions, and he encouraged me. And so he brought me in. So he was my Eskimo, and I thank him for that. Uh, so that's what brought me back. But it was to the point that I really – I do not like organized religion, which is what put me off. And so I always had that little bit. And so when it finally got past that little roadblock, that's when I was able to finally come and join OA and become uh, and start my road to recovery. Uh, Michael. Hey, Mark. Thank you for your share. Um, so how has the steps, your parents, I'm interested you live with your dad and your mom, how has the steps uh, helped you to maybe forgive your parents, and did you make amends to them, or describe that process, please? Uh, uh, yes and no. Uh, I'm in the process of, full, I haven't fully forgiven them. Uh, there's still issues. I forgave my dad, for, and I've asked amends. I've made my amends with my father for the things I was responsible for. Uh, we came a couple times to physical blows when I was a teenager. Uh, I apologize for my actions during that. Uh, I ran away. I got out of there when it was very tense, when he was very angry, because I knew he was going to take it out on me. There was going to be yelling and screaming. I just got out of there, which every therapist and every person I've ever talked to said that was a good idea. He believed otherwise. Uh, after I made my amends with him, he actually asked for, uh, he apologized to me. Which I will. Uh, now that being said, they still act a certain way. That those resentments that I still have, uh, still they still kind of the coals are still there. It's not a fire anymore, but the the coals of the resentment that it's still hot and it will still affect my food. And I have to be very conscious of that because I will want to overeat even after I'm able to work the program when I see him or my mom and they do these things, I will still have that kind of urge to kind of go back to what I, you know, to my protection. And so it is something that uh, it's less intense now, but there are times when it will be just, they will do something and that it will really just kind of add fuel to the fire. So it's something that it's probably going to be like that for the rest of my life because when I talk about my dad with my older brother, believe me, those even not him not being there, he's still there that way. So it's something that I have to be careful of and be aware of. Thank you. Next one, Nancy. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for your share. Um, really, really happy to hear your story. So um, when you were doing your Step 9 amends, um, did you mention, when you were doing it, did you mention specific harms that could have caused more harm to the person, or did you kind of leave it up to the other person to hear the specifics of the harm? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, uh, I think it does. Uh, let me just kind of say that one back. When I did my nine step amends, did uh, was I aware of what the uh, was I aware of what I was my amends were towards? Was it just about me, or was it something that might hurt them in the process? Right. Uh, exactly. If, okay. if your amends would have, if being specific would have hurt them, were you, would I, you say specifically or? I, I ran this by with my sponsor and my therapist, so I was kind of had a, I had already 
done a kind of um, a, a rehearsal of it. So I took them out of it. I would never say anything you or you did. It was always about my feelings, and it was always about me. So these are the – I always made sure it was kept on me. And they would – they sometimes make comments, and I would actually want to kind of – there is part of me that wants to go in to defend myself, but no, I kept it. I'm like, thank you for your, you know, for your insight. Thank you for your comments. And I would leave it at that. I would never try to engage them in anything else uh, during that. And uh, it was, there's a couple that I have not been able to do. Uh, and I've not quite gotten to the point of figuring out how to do it. Uh, I mean, I probably could write out one of them because one of the people that I had, I want to make amends with, uh, who I also have resentments with, has passed away since uh, before I even joined OA. So it's harder to do something with when someone's not there anymore. But it is, you know, uh, writing it out, we'd probably, I have written little bits about it. And so it's still having mixed, separating that resentment that what of what they did and their actions versus my actions in either propagating or involved in that and or not saying anything during that time. Uh, hope that answered your question. All right, next I have is Julia. Hi, Mark. Um, thanks so much for your share. Um, you mentioned being kind of turned off by organized religion. Can you talk about how you um, found a higher power, how you came to believe, and also how you maintain um, constant contact with that higher power. Absolutely. Um, my, I am an agnostic. I don't have, I do not know what's out there. Uh, I have questions all the time. Uh, but I do know that you know, my higher power is something that's greater than myself. Uh, group conscience partly is my higher power, uh, not any individual. Uh, like I said, there's sometimes I'll get those messages, like when I read the four today, and I try to read it sometimes at night also when I'm trying to think about how my day went, and I realize it was really spot on that day. The message was perfectly done for that day. Uh, I try to find hidden messages, little messages all there. My higher power is constantly talking to me uh, through little signs, little things. I just sometimes have to get in my own head and listen. Uh, you never know, and it's never subtle. Uh, for instance, uh, my higher power can uh, 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 Sorry, Mark, you broke up with a bit. Can you repeat the last part? Of course. All right, thank you, Vincent. Um, so I got a message from my higher power earlier this week, where it was attributing it to my higher power when I went to have Chinese food, and I got a fortune. And it said, I will be the center of attention later on. So today I am pretty much the center of attention, uh, as all focus is on me. So I'm just saying it that way. As much Five as I'm, minutes, Mark. Right, thank you, Michael. As much as I would love that, also, you know, if those, I use those numbers and win the lottery, no, probably not it. It's this. So you never quite know what it is, uh, but sometimes it is those things that just might be those little messages. And uh, going, suggesting away from my first nutritionist, uh, that was probably my first one of my conditions. Uh, my 
you know, uh, if I'm feeling particularly alone and sometimes I, you know, I just don't want to talk to anyone, I get an outreach call, uh, from unexpected places and I'm talking for five or ten minutes and those usually perk me up. So those are my higher power. My higher power is out there. Uh, I do not need to know what my higher power is. I don't have to have an idea of what my higher power is. All I have to know is that my higher power has a plan or at least has an idea for me. And as long as I'm turning my will and my life over to my higher power, so that's usually works. Uh, Carol. Hi, Mark. Um, good to hear your story. So you do a lot of service um, that I, that I uh, observe. What do you get out of that? Besides the standard line of what do you personally feel like you get out of service? It gets me out of my own head. Uh, it, when I'm doing, helping out others, I'm no longer thinking, oh, it's about me or I'm trying, it's not my lone little shell. I get out of my shell and I can go out and walk. Um, it also makes me feel valuable because when I'm doing, uh, when I'm helping out, it's actually, Hey, I'm helping out others in whatever aspect they might need. Um, it was mentioned to me to be careful that it, too much service might lead to having an ego. Uh, yeah, which is possible because I was doing the times when I was sharing a lot. Uh, I, there was a communication mix-up and someone else shared at the time I was supposed to share. And I, for the first five minutes, I was like, why? Hey, it was my time. What's going on? And why did, you know, why did the screw-up? But when I finally got out, I was able to step out and say, okay, you know what? It was just, it's just an up. I can't control that. And that person's share was amazing. Uh, when I, when I was able to start listening to it. So what I get out of it is the sense that, uh, one community, uh, two, it's definitely community through the fellowship, but it's also being able to say, what can I give or what can I do to help others? Um, and without any regard or, you know, accolades or whatever to myself. If I can help someone, you know, who need, who might need that help at that time, getting those outreach calls or uh, talking to my great-grand, great-grand sponsor. Thank you, Terrell, uh, for being that sponsor family. And I know I'm just still a baby in your eyes. Uh, but uh, that's usually what comes out of it. I hope that answered your question. Uh, anyone else? We got two minutes. Uh, sweet Sarah. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for your uh, share. My name is Sarah, a uh, grateful compulsive reader. I, I'd like to ask you about your plan of action. What for me, what that has meant is what is the overall umbrella under which my program? Uh, I want my program to look like or to feel like. You know, what things do I do? You've spoken about some things, but. If you could elaborate a little bit on that, that'd be great. I'll do Thank my you. best. I'll Thank do my you. best. Uh, my plan of actions. I naturally just want to just stay at home. I'm uh, an introvert, so isolation is not a huge bad thing for me. But it is essentially at any given moment, I need to constantly go into my higher power. I need to constantly go, what can I do right now? To move, to be of ask, to actually do actions. Because when I just sit around, I will go to my other compulsive action, which is sometimes just looking on the internet and going and maybe looking at YouTube videos. I need to actually be doing something. Going on, uh, 
going out and putting organization on my paper, paying bills, doing adult, you know, some of the adult stuff, but uh, actually doing something other than just kind of wrapping myself in this own little shell. I needed to always be on my shell. And uh, so that's, uh, it's not easy because it's it's constant. I have to constantly do it. I, you know, I went back to school. I have to do homework. There are certain times, and I will sometimes wait till the last minute to do that homework. Yeah, I've known about it for a week. So I, if I started at that beginning of the week, I take care of it, then it'd be much better. Um, and that's nice with you. I hope that answers your question. It's still a struggle for me, uh, but it's something I have to, it's part of what I have to turn over my higher power every day. Mark. All right. Thank you.